Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget Podcast. This is episode 39, Ripoff. If you are wondering what happened to episode 38, we had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties, and that podcast has been lost for all of eternity. You missed out. Uh, I am your host, Terrence O'Brien. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dana Woolman. Say hi to the nice people, Dana. Hello, and RIP to episode 38. I know. There was some really great material in there. We talked about... uh, the Tribeca Film Festival with Sherlyn. We discussed Heathers, which now people will never know what you thought of Heathers because this uh, episode um, is just gone. Surprisingly violent to someone just <laughs> watching it today is what I thought of it. It was a lot darker than you were you were expecting. Yes. I, th- I think that ultimately the decision we came to was that there was no way in hell this movie would ever get made today. No, like not in 2017. Just, no. Uh, it's been kind of a crazy week, just not in technology, but just around the world, huh? Yeah. Um, it, it's been like a year or six months crammed into basically um, <laughs> one work week. Yeah, um, it's been nuts. One thing we really don't have a ton of time to really dig into today, unfortunately, um, is this giant ransomware attack that just went down today. Uh, it started out, the news first broke because of the, the NHS, the National, National Healthcare Service. I think I have that abbreviation right. Maybe. Do you know? I think you do. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was like 25 hospitals across the UK reported that their systems were hijacked and being held ransom. Terrible. And I don't, is that unprecedented? I don't know if I've heard of an attack like that before. It's the sort of thing that you've read about in previous apocalyptic stories, um, the future of cyber terrorism. I don't know if I've heard of an attack like that before. No, and it only got bigger as the day went on. At first, it was just these 25 hospitals. And then by the end of the day, I think uh, I was in my car just before listening to NPR, and they said it's spread to over 70 countries. Oh, no. I mean, I remember the breaking news alert that hit my phone earlier today, but I think at that point it was 16 hospitals in Great Britain. Yeah. And then from there, at some point, it became 12 countries. And then apparently now it's even gotten even bigger and it's just this giant mess. And of course, we we have partially to thank for this, the NSA. Oh, do we? Yeah. So the the... 
the vulnerability that the these hackers exploited apparently originated from some of these NSA documents that were leaked and they found it in there and it still has not apparently been properly patched in a lot of places. So good news all around. <laughs> um ugh. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a big mess. Um you know what else was a big mess though, Dana? What was good a big segue? mess? The Fire Festival. Yes, that was a big mess. Um, rich people got some very subpar sandwiches out of that one. <laughs> That's your big takeaway is that rich people got some very poor sandwiches. They only had one slice of cheese on their bread, which is not acceptable. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was two slices of cheese in that photo, Dana. I think we might need to fact check this. Okay, Don't my fake news, Dana. Okay. Don't be fake news. Uh, so I sat down and I talked with Edgar Alvarez, one of our excellent reporters who wrote this piece of, wrote a piece about it this week. Uh, and he talked to somebody who was at the festival. He talked, well, he tried to talk to the FTC because there's all sorts of regulatory stuff that was ruined. Um, so he had some interesting things to say. Edgar Alvarez, my friend, you, you, wrote, you wrote a pretty interesting story this week all about Ye- Fire Festival, right? Oh yeah, that fire festival. There's so much going on around that that it's like just kind of hard to, <laughs> to kind of you know. So what? What do we take a step back? Compress that. Yeah, let's let's take a step back for those who have been living under a rock for the last I don't know couple of weeks at least. Uh, what what is or was the fire festival? So the the fire festival was uh, billed as the. Uh, a culture, the cultural experience of a decade or a cultural experience of the decade. And it was kind of the supposed to be the Coachella in the Bahamas, but it ended up being the opposite of that. <laughs> it was in the, Baham- the Bahamas, but it was, uh, you know, people Coachella. were promised, no, people were promised like five star meals. And once they got there, they realized that all the money they had spent, you know, some people spend between $1,500 and the, the face value of the tickets were between $1,500 and $250,000, but it's unclear whether anyone actually spent $250,000. But, um, you know, we spoke to someone who spent $4,000 on a ticket and when he showed up, uh, everything that they had promised them, like, you know, a, a nice looking uh, loft or, you know, uh, instead he got like tents that people were comparing to like, <laughs> refugee tents which is messed up on its own but so so this wasn't even just coachella in the bahamas it was coachella for the like unreasonably rich in the bahamas yes and the 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 i think the problem and the reason why we cover this for us is because a lot of the hype behind this festival was created by uh, instagram influencers uh, especially like supermodels like kendall jenner uh that's kim kardashian's half sister for those of you who don't know uh and then uh other supermodels like her and they were you know they spent a lot or they were paid to promote this event on their instagram accounts and that you know they were giving like uh codes for people to redeem and stuff but they never once disclosed that uh they were uh they were paid to do so so people who bought tickets for this event assumed that when they showed up to uh, the fire festival, they were going to be interacting with like Kendall Jenner and all these other people. And uh, they weren't even there to begin with. So, <laughs> all right, so before we get a little bit farther down that rabbit hole about uh, their, the influencers and what they had to do with the, the organizers of the fire fest, uh, I forget the one guy's name. It was 
Uh, Billy McFarland, I think it's Billy his last McFarlane name. Billy McFarland and Ja Rule. Ja Rule, yep. Oh, Ja Rule. They, part of the problem is that apparently they spent pretty much all of their money on paying influencers to promote the festival in the first place. Yeah, and apparently they also spent it on their own, like, yachts and, like, going to buy expensive meals. And this is all according to uh, to lawsuits and, you know, other uh, publications who have reported this. So they basically blew all their money, and that's why when people showed up, they, you know, it was nothing like what... Uh, they were promised so 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 let's let's just recap real quick they were promised this big expensive retreat in the bahamas on i believe originally it was supposed to be a private island that ended up not happening it was supposed nope. to be a giant concert with all sorts of bands and artists including at some point i believe blink 182 was on the um bill that did not happen one artist played and i don't even remember the artist's name um they were promised five-star meals, and instead they got slices of cheese between two pieces of bread. <laughs> yes, they, with the, uh, they, they, did, they did get a salad. Oh, they got a salad. With dressing. You, you got you to get your greens in. <laughs> <laughs> they were promised, like, luxury, um, like, green huts on the beach and were literally put in tents that were designed for disaster relief. And... All of this because the organizers of the festival had clearly never organized anything of this scale before and blew all of their money and waited to the last minute to do anything. Yeah, and also the, uh, I believe it was the Washington Post uh, who reported like maybe even a couple of months ago that uh, these people were having trouble, the organizers were having trouble paying even like the caterers. So even like... The uh, organizers knew well in advance that this was not going to go as planned, but they decided to go through with it. And even uh, there are some reports also, again, unconfirmed, that they were still selling VIP packages even after that first day when they got canceled. <laughs> so it's it's crazy. There, there's a whole bunch of nonsense. That they, they left people stranded at airports in Miami and everything. Mm -hmm. And now uh, we're uh, just yesterday when we wrote our story as I was writing it or we were editing it, uh, the um, another lawsuit was filed in, uh, I believe, North Carolina. So now we're up to seven lawsuits and it's only been, I think, two weeks. Uh, so it's it's like a lawsuit every other day. And it's and they're all for uh, negligence and fraud, uh, obviously. I, I think one of my favorite pieces of this story, though, is that the organizers are offering to people who bought tickets this year. And if they are willing to forego their refund, they'll give them twice as many tickets for next year. Because if they couldn't pull it off in 2017, you're going to trust them to do it in 2018. <laughs> they did say, uh, not that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I completely agree with you, but they did say that uh, the next one was going to be in a beach in the U.S. So maybe uh, they have definitely uh, kind of rearranged their expectations. But yeah, that's insane. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, the people who we interviewed for our story said uh, he was uh, waiving his refund because they, I mean, they did offer him uh, the promotion you're saying where, they, you know, if he had one VIP ticket, they say, hey, we're, if you waive your refund, we'll give you two VIP tickets. Uh, but he was like, no, because he he's actually the person we interviewed uh, for our story. He is actually the, uh, the one who filed the seventh lawsuit uh, yesterday in North Carolina. So he waived uh, his uh, refund so that he could uh, take uh, legal action against them. 
and that's probably a, a really uh, <laughs> you know really good idea. <laughs> I, I, I I tend to agree. I think he made the right move. Because I'm sure he'll get a lot more than uh, what he had paid, and then he'll probably, if he wants to go next year, he'll <laughs> he have money to, to buy a ticket yeah, with, with exactly. his uh, winnings from the lawsuit. That's the other thing, though, that you have to, you know, these people clearly spent all their money. So you have to wonder that even with all these class action lawsuits, like, where is the money going to come from? Oh, God. I mean, most of the people probably are not going to get their money back. Let's be honest <laughs> with ourselves there, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so the other big part of the story, I think the thing that was more interesting to us as a tech publication was the sort of Instagram influencer thing, um, because they paid all of this money to have supermodels and other people promote the festival on Instagram and on other places. And they're legally supposed to include some sort of disclaimer that it's like a, a, a promoted post, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the FTC has pretty... Uh pretty clear guidelines that when it's a sponsored post, uh, if it's Kendall Jenner or Kim Kardashian or anybody who has millions of followers on a, on Instagram or Twitter or any of these social platforms uh, has to, if it's a paid advertisement, they have to do like hashtag ad or say sponsored post. They have to make it pretty clear. The problem is that these influencers just simply don't follow the guidelines. So a lot of the the people who you know look up to these uh, influencers or these personalities, they think uh, that they're they don't realize that it's a, it's a paid advertisement that they're being served a paid ad advertisement. Can, before we continue, can we stop using the word influencers? By the way, it's like one I of know. the worst words, right? We could agree. <laughs> that, on is, that is what I was reading a story when I was doing my research, and one of the uh, the authors was. Uh, I think he said something like influenced by influencer and he was like this is the worst thing i've ever written in my life and i was like yeah that's but it's not just everybody and it's the thing is like what else could you call them uh, I'm, there's celebrities with social media followings yeah. <laughs> and the, i guess the i the the third the the term influencer came from uh not like these big celebrities but also like these other people who are just who are not celebrities but they have like millions if not or like thousands of followers on like instagram and stuff who like well wouldn't, takes wouldn't they be celebrities they're just instagram celebrities as opposed yeah, to traditional that is true. celebrities yeah um, there are also other terms but those are not suitable uh, for work so let's just not get <laughs> <into that. laughs> um so they haven't been doing the the things that they're supposed to do they haven't been adding the hashtags and the disclaimers and stuff to uh separate them out their posts out as ads like they're supposed to and what has the FTC done about all of this? So uh, they haven't taken legal action against one like individual. So they have gone after brands like there was this Lord and Taylor case who uh, it's a it's a retail brand who sent, uh, I believe it was dresses to like a bunch of these Instagram celebrities. And they were all, you know, they all posted the same picture on the same day and none of them uh, you know, disclose that it was an ad. So then the FTC went after the brand. Uh, but for someone like Kendall Jenner or Kim Kardashian, the FTC has never taken any, uh, any brought any sort of case against them. Um, they haven't done it yet. Uh, but, you know, the way as these things continue to happen, I feel like it's coming soon. They did send letters, uh, like 90 letters to uh, these, some of these big name celebrities. Uh, surprisingly enough, though, like the Kardashians and Kendall Jenner were not in those letters. So, you know, we tried to reach out to the FTC, but they did not. Uh, they did not want to comment on the story. Uh, so 
the FTC says, you know, when we contacted them, they said, oh, they pointed us to their guidelines, which again, the guidelines are pretty clear. It's just the influencers or these Instagram celebrities are not following them. So the next obvious step you think would be uh, to take, you know, bring a cases against these individuals but whether that's going to happen that's you know that's still to be determined sorry that's no, okay that's okay um so and but this isn't like the first time we've had encounters with this issue right we've covered this before even you wrote a story i believe last two years ago maybe now yeah i think it was close to two years ago yeah so this is this is a thing that's been happening for for maybe like three three years now or uh and you know we wrote our story that we wrote or that i wrote last time or a couple of years ago it was based on on kim kardashian and and other celebrities who are who are just you know they keep doing this and they continue to do it and i think until the ftc kind of sets an example out of someone then uh you know we're i don't think anything's going to change uh so but i think uh you know as these things especially like with something like the fire festival i think that's coming sooner than later it seems like they've kind of been dragging their feet on enforcing these rules, but I guess maybe in the past it's been hard to point to how it's directly cost consumers and people money and mm -hmm. hurt them in a very specific way. But it seems like the Firefest is like a pretty clear-cut uh, example of where people were misled by celebrities online, paid a whole bunch of money for a thing that ended up not uh, being what it was advertised as being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think this is this is the biggest case yet, especially because there are so many of these uh, personalities involved, and there are also thousands of people who uh, you know paid for this, and they didn't get, like you said, they didn't get what uh, what they had what they paid for. So I think uh, this is this might be the uh, the beginning uh, of uh, kind of the end of influencers, <laughs> or at least they they'll have to uh, pretty soon. You know, I, I I do believe that the FTC is gonna. They're, like you said, they've been dragging their feet, but I do believe that it's coming. Uh, they're going to take action or set an example out of, out of one of these people pretty soon. Well, I hope you're right. I hope the FTC kind of gets its act together and, you know, starts making people do what they're supposed to do and stop misleading them. Yeah. And we the other thing we, we like we have to remember is that uh, this is all relatively new. Right. I mean, even though we were talking about that, this has been happening for three years, it's still relatively new. So I think I would imagine that it takes kind of time to uh, to try to figure out how to tackle this the right way without uh kind of violating like free speech and stuff like that but all you know it's so it's it's something to uh that we have to remember that it's this is all relatively new but now with something like the fire festival i think yeah. it's uh it's the government is never never uh known for being <laughs> quick to catch on to new technology and adapting to the way things work this for is better true. or worse this is true. <laughs> uh all right so thank you edgar everybody should go read that really fascinating piece about the fire festival um it's some really excellent reporting uh, so thank you again. And Edgar, I will see you later in the office. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I, just for the people out there, you know, don't believe everything you see on Instagram. <laughs> in fact, don't believe anything you see on Instagram. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> cool, man. Well, so it's interesting to see the FTC move a little more aggressively on cases like this. Our previous reporting actually su suggested that the Federal Trade Commission, um, although it had rules, didn't seem to be enforcing them very strenuously. Yeah, and I, I, they still have a while to go, I think. Uh, but it does seem like this is probably going to be the thing that, like, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. They're really going to have to do something now. Um, so, of course, though, while a lot of people were paying attention to the Firefest last week and this week, 
the big thing that was dominating the tech news this week was Build. That is Microsoft's big developer conference, yes? Yes, and indeed, um, this isn't always the case. It really was almost entirely software slash developer news. Doesn't mean there were no interesting nuggets for our readers or consumers in general, um, but this was not a flashy hardware reveal kind of show for the most part. No, and build, build rarely is, I feel like. I feel like, if anything, Build is best known for its overly long keynotes filled with lots of onstage coding. Um, especially the one that we did not live blog. The, the <laughs> one that we did live blog um, dragged on a little bit. It, it got a little in-depth at points, but that's not even including the presentation that we just decided to not live blog the day before. Yeah, and uh, we sent Devendra Hardwar and Sherlyn Lowe out to Seattle to cover Build, and uh, I got on the phone with them yesterday to talk through some of the highlights. Uh, so joining me from, oh God, where are you guys? We are in Seattle. You're in Seattle. <laughs> it's very I always cool. And I have been sleepless, let's be real. <laughs> so joining me from Seattle, Devendra Hardwar, Sherlyn Lowe, uh, you guys are at Build. Yes. which is Microsoft's big developer conference, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so, all right, so lay out what Build is for me. For the people who don't know, this isn't like the big, um, fun Apple events where they trot out a bunch of phones, right? No, this is, I mean, every company has a developer conference, but I think Microsoft takes it very seriously. There is coding on stage. Um, it's more about a place where they talk about their broader plans and vision. Um, but yeah, it's it's very much dev-oriented. There aren't many products here. There's nothing for us to actually you know, play with or shoot. Um, so it's been a fun experience. It's definitely not like Google I.O. or something. And to kind of put it in context for you, basically last week Microsoft already had their like education event where they unveiled a bunch of hardware. Like the Surface laptop. That yeah. was great. Yeah. And it looked nice. And it was here. I got a chance to look at it because I wasn't at the New York event. But, you know, there you go. <laughs> so but you've been spending most of your time kind of sitting in an auditorium watching people write code on a stage? Not most of the time, but that's definitely a big portion of the keynotes. Uh, it's it's a combination of like the big broad vision that we keep hearing from uh, you know executives at Microsoft, and also hey let's just code for a while. Uh, and all the sessions here like there definitely aren't sessions that we could just sit in and understand easily. Yeah, I'm I'm about to go learn how to code an app later today. Mm-hmm. So hey, I'm very excited. <laughs> well, I mean that sounds like a useful skill to have at least. I already have um, that skill. So you guys sat through two different keynotes now at this point and, and build keynotes are notoriously long that right? was five hours total of keynotes yeah they actually told us that if they could do it all in one keynote they would have but they didn't want to keep us chained <laughs> to our tables for full five hours they're conscientious like that they were very nice H- have they ever thought about maybe cutting back on the amount of coding on stage <laughs> to get the keynote a little bit shorter i've i've asked i think a lot of people have asked the one thing they did this year is that we actually got a little bit of hint of the news ahead of time so previously there weren't press briefings so we kind of went into this prepared so that was very helpful when we we knew which day to live blog and i think that was essential because thank God we did not live blog the first day. Because usually they would do the important news for us, for people like us on the first day, and then do the developer stuff on the second, but today they kind of flipped it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year they kind of flipped it, and that was just, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that did cause a little bit of confusion on our end, a little bit of last-minute um, shuffling of our plans. But, all right, so if this is their opportunity to sort of lay out their grand vision for Windows and all of that stuff for the next year at least, and probably further 
uh, further out. What exactly is Microsoft trying to do? What are they looking forward to for the next year? I think the biggest ideas are uh, all this talk about the intelligent cloud and intelligent edge computing, which are devices which are cloud connected but can also do some stuff on their own uh, locally. And uh, you know, this that's the big enterprise push with Microsoft Azure and everything uh, going against Amazon's cloud storage. So that's the big enterprise level push. On the consumer end, we're hearing more about Windows everywhere. Um, the fall creators update they just announced uh, will have all sorts of features that'll let you basically continue working from your Windows PC to an iOS device or an Android device. They have iTunes on the Windows Store. Like this is a really, it, it feels like a big shift. And I can understand why Microsoft maybe stepped away from mobile because it's better to play with other people's sandboxes right now. I also think that a lot of the stuff they showed today, like clipboard and pick up where you left off, was just very reminiscent of what Apple's already been doing for a while now, handoff and mm -hmm. um, universal clipboard. But that, those, that feature only works on Apple on, devices. Only on Apple devices, So doing it yeah, across Android, across iOS and Windows, like that's actually pretty impressive. I, I think, think that's also because when uh, Microsoft is starting to understand that it doesn't really have a lot of a shot if it's closing off its walls to other devices, like Apple can kind of afford to do that because they have a huge huge market you know they have a huge share of the market for mobile and windows just doesn't so doing this gets we were we were joking about this just now when we were shooting our video we said we're, microsoft is sliding windows into your not your dms but <laughs> your devices into your life <laughs> so that's what it's trying to do um and i think it's wise mm -hmm. well that's always been microsoft's strategy right is to kind of make sure that it's accessible as many places as possible they've always been a lot more open apple as much as they have a, a smaller market share, they have a much more loyal following. Um, Apple has fanboys in a way that I think Microsoft doesn't really anymore, if it, they ever did. I mean, I think we're surrounded by Microsoft fanboys right now. I remember one year when I was live blogging build and maybe I was a little too snarky in how dull the keynote was, people were after me. So <laughs> you, don't, you don't hear them, but there are definitely fanboys out there. Uh, I, Apple's in a weird place too, right? Because so many people complained about their most recent hardware and their computers. And then you see something like the Surface Laptop, which is basically just a refined version of what Apple is doing for a while, but looks so much better than what we're seeing from Apple. This It feels like we're in a topsy-tier V world right now. So uh, just take a quick step back and talk about the uh, this universal clipboard thing, because this is one of the few things actually during an, an extraordinarily long and, if I'm being brutally honest, kind of boring keynote that this actually was only caught 90 my minutes. attention. Yeah, you yesterday's was two and a half hours. You dropped out halfway through <laughs> yesterday's keynote, and yeah. we had to sit through all of it, Terrence, so don't even complain. <laughs> but yeah, universal clipboard, uh, I think it's pretty self-descriptive, right? You can save things on your PC and just paste it to your iOS device or your Android device. So, um, yeah. so during the demo, one of the examples they gave was someone just highlighted something in an email from their laptop and then went to the Maps app on their phone to look that restaurant up. And it worked seamlessly, quickly, at least during the demo. We don't know how, it'll, how quickly it will work in real life, um, but definitely is very promising and is something that I will make me stick with Windows for a while mm -hmm. longer, actually. I, I, they realize that people have many different devices mm -hmm. and many different platforms and it's a it's a smart play there, yeah. there's another thing that was pretty cool i'm sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. but um you know timeline i'm not sure if you saw that uh t but that's also one of the big updates that's coming with the fall creators update um and it basically presents kind of a chronological but also all device inclusive mm -hmm. uh view of what you've been looking at for the past like <laughs> however long right so, so hide like it a, from your parents yeah, hide it from people who don't want to see what you've been doing but yeah prone. 
Um, yeah. There's so basically it's like thumbnails of all the little different windows or apps or websites you've had open, and you yeah. can just scroll back and look. It's like a web browser yeah. history for you all your. Gadgets. If you were like deep into your resume one night and you just want to get back into that <laughs> workflow immediately, you could just hit the button and go have everything open right back up. And that's actually pretty smart. I've used some third-party Windows apps to do things like that before, so it, mm -hmm. it seems very useful. That is something I'll have to try it. Um, just real quickly, kind of walk me through what the these kind of things look like. Like, I guess the, the timeline thing seems more intuitive. That's just kind of like you pull up a window on your desktop. It's actually right under the task view. So I think the okay. tab view, so mm -hmm. it's right there. Is it, is it kind of like the old uh, recent documents view almost? Is it reminiscent of that a little bit? It may be a little more stylish, but I, I think the thumbnails, uh, it was all very clear. There's a lot of yeah. uh, pictures on our live blog, which is still up, so you <laughs> can check that out for uh, one of the screenshots of it. But yeah, it's colorful, it looks nice, and that actually kind of rolls into uh, what Microsoft also discussed called fluent design. Um, basically mm -hmm. kind of a more polished uh, look for the new system. Mm -hmm. Not very new, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's both a polished visual design and also an input design too, because it's meant for devices that maybe don't even have screens or maybe something that's yeah totally voice controlled, but designing a single app that could work across yeah. all of that, like a traditional PC and one of those, I think that's smart to have a way to do that easily. So can you can you explain a little bit of what Fluent is? Because that was the other real big thing. Um, because it's not just a, like you said, it's not just a UI design principle, it's a broader design principle because they're using it for things that don't even have screens, uh, yeah. which I'm not even entirely sure I, what that it, is. It was tough for them to explain, and we asked even Microsoft's PR people to kind of you know, flesh out a little more. So yeah. can I come into this <laughs> with the developer point of view, right? If you're uh, writing an app, you're going to have to be like, when user presses screen, do this. When user says something, when the microphone detects something, do that, right? You understand these basics. So what Fluent Design does is put all of those input options in one accessible protocol. So like then you don't have to be limited by like, oh, this one that I downloaded only works for laptops. This one, this APK that I'm using only works for smartphones. So I don't have the option to display something that's not on the screen. That's at least the idea that I'm getting from like trying to understand the code part of it. Um, and it definitely makes it easier for developers to create within one single piece of code or one package every different scenario. So if it has a microphone, if it has a, a touchscreen, do this. If it doesn't have a touchscreen, use the speaker instead. So that's a very like a nice way to create comprehensive apps. All right. So that's, it sounds like it's a, a pretty powerful set of like design pillars for developers. What does that mean for a consumer? Uh, I think apps are going to look a little prettier, like just in terms of like the visual effects, there's more of a focus on lighting and natural textures and design. So uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's unclear what it's actually going to look like, but it, it'll probably be noticeable at some point. Yeah. There's also, in addition to the visual mm -hmm. elements, there's like, um, we need to wait for developers to start using it. And Fluent Design is going to roll out with the Fall Creators update. So people are going to need to wait a little bit for actual implementation of it and actual apps. But the idea is that over several years, or maybe over a year or so, you're starting to see apps that, uh, Windows apps that can work on other devices, and therefore gadgets that are running Windows OS or a version of it. And that would be pretty cool. Um, the one last thing I did kind of want to touch on real quick and ask you guys about is, you know, f I feel like for the better part of a decade now, we've been kind of talking about the death of the operating system in many ways. There was, you know, 
all of the buzz about web 2.0 and we're going to all use web apps and that never really happened. Um, but today Microsoft kind of announced that they're base essentially putting really bare bones versions of Linux in their app store that you can run like apps on your windows desktop, mm -hmm. which seems sort of like a, sort of an odd thing to try and wrap your head around. It's, but. Uh, yeah, unless you're a developer, right? Developers often have to jump between virtual machines and into different environments to test out their software or whatever they're building. So that's not definitely not something for normal consumers. But I think the idea that the operating system is dead is clearly not true, at least the way Microsoft is building the operating system right now, right? Because it's not just Windows. It is Windows in the cloud. It's all this stuff that's going to be running on an Android device or an iOS device. So the whole idea of the Windows graph, right? Using your credentials say, yeah. to log in and connect all of this. Um, maybe the OS is like a standalone desktop environment may be dead. Uh, but at least for Microsoft, it's kind of spreading everywhere. So I wouldn't say the OS, the OS is dead, right? The idea of Microsoft Graph being useful is that you, regardless of what device you're on, you'll still be able to tap into your information, as we mentioned earlier with timeline and all that stuff, regardless like from whatever platform you want to. And that actually is the idea, you know, adds to the idea that Microsoft wants to exist beyond a device. Like their OS isn't like, you know, device specific anymore. These are all very esoteric type of things that, you know, it's, it's very forward looking. And basically, I feel like this is the idea of build this year. It's, mm -hmm. it's all in the future. It's sort of starting now. Yeah. And but we're seeing that with the mixed reality stuff, too. Oh and yeah. yeah, we saw the new controller and everything. So Microsoft is playing for the future and kind of building for the present, too. And yeah, it seems a lot more interesting than just like, I don't know what uh, Google's doing with Chrome OS, right? Because that is the whole let's just focus on web apps thing. Yeah. But it, it, it does seem to be part of this broader effort of theirs to kind of tear down some of the walls between platforms, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, they're kind of pitching as the end of the platform wars. But yeah, the end of the platform wars because you're going to join the Microsoft Borg. Yeah. Uh, so just before we go, and I let you guys go back to uh, whatever Ugh, you know, slow torture. nonsense Meetings. Microsoft is going to put you through next. Yep. Was there any super exciting news on the HoloLens front or the VR front? Because that's, like that's like the buzzy things that everybody gets excited about. Yeah, the main thing, and honestly, I think it's only the tech press that gets excited about it because consumers, just no matter how, how I talk to them, like they're just not into it yet. Mm -hmm. But the controller is kind of cool. Uh, it's, it doesn't require a sensor to be set up. It uses inside-out tracking, just like HoloLens and all six the headsets. Doll. Yeah, and six degrees of freedom. So if you can see this controller, you can be tracked in, in three-dimensional space. So that's pretty cool. It looks kind of like the Oculus Touch controller. And uh, you know, we they, they don't have hardware here for a test, unfortunately, but it looks cool. It yeah. does, and during the demo, I mean, not demo, but during the video that they had uh, to show us what it was, uh, it looked like it had a lot more applications than existing touch controllers. It had some kind of a trackpad on it or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they all have some but some. It just seemed like yeah. so, I don't know, it seemed like a very well thought mm -hmm. out, at least to me. I it is sort of like a combination of the Vives touch controller and Oculus's, I yeah. think, yeah. Yeah. Um, seemed a little bit more polished than you were expecting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, I think well, they for something that we it. haven't seen in person, yeah, pretty mm -hmm. polishing concept, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds right. like it's going to be just a $100 addition to the Acer VR headset, so it's going to be right. a 399 bundle this holiday season. So and 299 just for the DevKit headset alone. Yeah. That's something that they also announced um, here. So yeah, uh, Sherlyn Devendra, thank you for joining me. Uh, safe travels, have a safe flight, and uh, we'll see you back in New York in, I don't know, a couple of days. All right, thanks. No, don't want to. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I feel very bad for them having suffered through two days, basically, of three-hour coding presentations. But, you know, that's part of the job.
Devendra, I thought, did a fine job paying attention to the live blog, adding context. Um, the people didn't see how slap-happy and goofy Sherlin became that day after <laughs> a, a long day of just endless coverage. Um, but I guess slap-happy is better than miserable. Yeah. Um, so it's time to kind of bring the show to a close, do the wind down. And this is where we've been doing this ongoing project that, um, for the time being, we're calling Dana Gets Culture. <laughs> in which... We're open to other suggestions, though. We're open to other suggestions, yes, please. Uh, that was one of the things that is now gone, was lost with this last episode, is we need a title for the segment. So people should tweet at us or hit us up on Facebook or email us or whatever and just come up with good titles for this segment. Um, and the basic premise here is that for whatever reason, Dana Woolman did not watch a lot of movies growing up. And she has missed out on 20-something years of very important pop culture. Because I was too busy watching, like, Mrs. Doubtfire over and over <laughs> again. So if it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, she's probably seen it. Um, not necessarily. Not necessarily. If it was Kindergarten Cop, she's seen it. Yes. <laughs> Um, and you, you've seen Monty Python. Yes. And as we now know, you've seen Mrs. Doubtfire. But there's a whole host of classic movies you had not seen. And Over so 100 imagine, on our list. Yeah. We, we have a list we're working from, and we are open to suggestions from other people as well. Uh, we've compiled this list, and through the magic of streaming, because you have this giant library of movies at your fingertips, we're slowly giving you the the film education you so desperately need, Dana. And using 2017 technology, I am um, live tweeting each week. Yes, and you should tune in for her live tweets. Um, I know it's, it's not on any sort of regular schedule. You just have to follow Dana on Twitter, and when you see her say, tonight's movie, you know to tune in, because it's going to be a, a, a great night. So, so far we've done Jurassic Park, Jaws. Um, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. Heathers. And this week, your assignment was... Caddyshack. I cannot believe, by the way, you have never seen Caddyshack. This was one of the ones that really blew my mind. I hadn't seen Caddyshack, and I don't think I had seen any Rodney Dangerfield movie. How is that possible? I don't know, but he's, he's the best. Yes, he is. The opening uh, minutes of Caddyshack, I didn't think I would enjoy it at first. At first, I thought it was going to be this really dated, generic 80s movie. Um, but then Rodney Dangerfield enters with his bulging eyes and his <laughs> Technicolor outfits, and um, he just makes the whole movie. Yeah, he is, you know, it is, it is to be fair, dated, um, but it is like an exemplary sort of example of like that style of movie that's like ridiculous 80s comedy and that's Rodney Dangerfield at his best and he's so charismatic he like pops off that screen you can't help but love him he, he's definitely the best uh, I wasn't initially sold on young Bill Murray as the creepy gateskeeper <laughs> groundskeeper but um, he won me over by the end I actually came to think that he was a little underused in the movie Oh, he, he is terribly underused. But I think that's actually one of the things that makes it so, it's such a strong performance is they dole him out in little bits and pieces. And so, you know, you, you're left wanting more. You never get tired of him. 
Pretty much, yeah. And I don't know what it meant. I didn't tweet this, but I don't know what it meant that I was most amused by Bill Murray when he was leering at women. <laughs> I don't really know what that what 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 to make of that. But that that you were you were very amused by his weird sort of dated uh, creepiness. Yeah. The other thing I, I laughed out loud a few times, but there was one moment where I was laughing out loud at the um, what you call it. Um, synchronized swimmers and I didn't even know why I was laughing <laughs> you, you're not entirely sure what was funny about no. it but you were laughing anyway yeah uh, there's there's so much good stuff too so what what is your favorite part of the movie what was the thing that like jumped out to you and you're like this is the thing that I'm going to carry with me forever um, Rodney Dangerfield and, and specifically the parts of the movie where there are a couple scenes where Rodney Dangerfield is dancing you cannot beat Rodney Dangerfield dancing. That is pretty good. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield is really does steal the show, and him dancing is amazing. I'm going to have to say, though, that the Dalai Lama speech that Bill Murray gives repeatedly, like that that's the thing that I, always stuck with me. That's like a cultural touchstone. That's my, my reference point for that movie. So, uh oh, you've enjoyed all of your movies so far. Yes. Are you going to give me one that I, I don't enjoy? Well, I feel like we need something a little bit different. We've basically given you a pair of monster movies, right? Mm-hmm. And then we gave you two dark comedies, although I might argue that Heather's isn't really a comedy. <laughs> it's billed as a dark comedy, though. It is billed as one, but it is, it's not very funny, is it? It's not, but for the first few movie, for the first few minutes, I was convinced it was an 80s Mean Girls, which is, is not actually the case. It tries, I think there's a certain um, shared DNA between those two movies. Like, there's definitely a similarity. Between, like, Mean Girls is clearly partially inspired by Heathers, but yeah, they're... They're very different at the end. Mean Girls is legitimately funny and, like, amazing. Heather's is weird and a little bit too violent, I think. Yeah. And then to lighten things up after that, we went with Caddyshack. So we've had lighthearted, fun, ridiculousness. I feel like now we need to do something a little bit more highbrow. What do you think? Okay. So... The question is, do we do, like, highbrow drama? Do we do highbrow um, sci-fi? What are you feeling? What's, what's, what's Dana in the mood for? Um, let's do highbrow comedy. Highbrow comedy? Hmm. You know, I think you need to do Being John Malkovich, then. Okay. So that's this week's assignment, is being John Malkovich. Uh, we will reconvene next week to see what you have to think about that. Uh, any parting thoughts on Caddyshack or the news this week or anything else before we wrap up? Um, no parting thoughts. Um, being John Malkovich, those aren't going to make me tweet embarrassing things, right? I mean, it might. It might? Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, thank you for listening in. I hope that you guys are kind of enjoying the new format of the show. If you have complaints, comments, questions, suggestions, all of that stuff, we want to hear it. So hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at Terrence O'Brien. That's lots of E's, no A's. Dana, you are? I am just my full name, Dana Wallman, at, uh, on Twitter. All right. Um, and then you can also hit us up uh, at Engadget Podcast on Twitter. You can email us, podcast at Engadget.com. Uh, please subscribe and rate us in your podcast app of choice. That helps people find the show, and we want more people to listen, obviously. Uh, so thank you for joining us, and we will be back next week with another uh, exciting episode of Dana Gets Culture. Yay.